0: This is Felicia. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to all of you who listen. I really feel inspired and close to our community. We got a new review this week and it says, ladies, I cannot tell you how much I look forward to each episode you produce. I love the truth you all share and real examples of how to begin and attain conscious parenting. I always walk away feeling inspired and ready to take on any ta- task. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and truths. And I just have to say, it means so much to us when you guys leave reviews, not to mention helps us. So if you feel so inclined to leave a review, just open Find the Magic podcast in your podcast app, scroll to the bottom of the page, click on Write a Review, and tap the stars to rate us and give us some feedback. We love to go here to find questions for episodes and to connect with all of you on what you're wanting us to research and distill and share it just really means so much. And we make this podcast for you. So thank you all. Don't forget to hit send on your review. All right, let's find the magic. Hey, everyone. This is Felicia, and I'm going to start us off with a high five, and that is to random animals.
2: <laughs> yes. We have
0: had an influx of random animals, for some reason, around our home. My oldest, Cohen, is, really likes catching bugs and things, but he's moved into small creatures. And the last like couple weeks, he's been catching a lot of snakes, and I... Love that necessarily. Eww. And this last weekend we were at like a bird refuge place that's out west of where we live, and we we're getting ready to leave. And he gets really discouraged if he doesn't catch anything when we go on adventures, which is hilarious to me because he like just assumes he's going to catch something cool anywhere we go that's outside, and. Which he usually does That's why it's weird Because I'm always like Towards the end like Come on Like you're not going to Catch anything And then he does So This last time We're getting ready to leave And we're like In the car Half of us And all of a sudden He's like Got a turtle And we're like What? A turtle? So we like Run over And he has caught The cutest Like Gold dollar sized so Little baby turtle It's so cute It's and- adorable. It's adorable so it's much, it's an upgrade from the snake by a lot. And yeah. he, like, cause he wants to keep them and I'm like, I don't want you to keep snakes. So it's like this cute little turtle and I, we researched them and they actually are like at the very bottom of conservation. So like, no, like it's like, it says they're actually a really great pet and we like researched how to take care of them. And now, now he's our little pet turtle in our laundry room. In a little aquarium. He's so cute.
1: He is seriously What's so cute. Name? I feel like I've seen a lot of baby animals in my day. I
0: just... He's so cute. He is so he is cute. so cute. His name is Tomato Red Stripe Tomato. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Very baby. good name. Awesome.
1: That's Aww. awesome. Yeah, I was so <laughs> glad. Uh, Felicia, yeah, you guys brought it over to our family dinner for Mother's Day and it was so fun. All the grandkids were just loving it and oh, it was so fun. So I'm glad we got to also enjoy the pet turtle.
2: Yeah, yes. it's adorable. Um, it's adorable. um okay, I so- love watching that little group of boys hunt for things. Like oh, they have a little explorer box at my house when they come over, they take it into the mountains and they have these little, oh my gosh, it, they're just the cutest little group of explorers. They're darling. Anyway, so, sorry, sorry, Kiel and I interrupted you. <clears throat>
1: no, That is cute. I love that. Um, No, mine is also a high five, and that is just to good books and reading at night. I have started to – which, I mean, I've done this sometimes, but my bedtime ritual as of late has included reading before bedtime, which sometimes it's just like I feel like that hasn't happened for many reasons. But it's been fun because I feel like I've had some good books that are just enjoyable reads. And – it has been so fun. And I've almost not that I forget, but I love getting into a good book and just getting lost in it. And there is something about reading an actual physical book that I don't do very much anymore. I feel like I mostly listen to audiobooks, but when I do have a good physical book, it is so awesome because you can't you you can only be mindful when you can't be doing a bunch of other things when you're reading a book. You can only be reading the book. So it is such a nice I don't know. It's just such an enjoyable experience. And I feel like it's something that I have loved doing. And it's a good high five for me. I've loved it. It's been like a really good part of my bedtime ritual. And I look forward to it every night. It's like very relaxing. And so anyway, um, the the book that I'm reading right now is called The Thief. For anybody who has read it, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I would, I think I would recommend it. It's just like a good and it's, I love it because it's a series too. I always love when I can get into a series because then I know I have some good books coming. So mm. um, yeah,
0: high five to that. Yeah. So do you and Cam hang out, watch show, then you read to fall asleep? Or is it like a long reading time?
1: No, it kind of depends on the night because say, for instance, last night Cameron went and played basketball. Like on Tuesdays, he usually plays basketball. So <laughs> if there's a night where he's Gone, then yeah, I'll just make it into a you know, it's just a longer, enjoyable part of my night. If he's around though, it usually is shorter. Like, yeah, usually we do our own thing and then we kind of get ready for bed. And then it's probably ends up being like 15 minutes, maybe 20. Mm -hmm. If I get really into it, sometimes it's longer. (laughs) But usually (laughs) around 15 minutes is kind of what it is. I love that. It's so fun. Okay.
2: Well, we obviously didn't talk about this ahead of time because I also have five, five, and it's about books. So oh, I love yes. the so triple, yes. five five. <laughs> triple high five button. So mine is also about reading and it is guys. So I read in the tub in the morning, like an actual book. I mean, I listen to books, you know, while I clean and stuff, but, um, I, I read a physical book in the morning in the tub. But, you know, for the last long time, I've always had, they're still like productive books. When I say productive, you know, like they're in the philosophy or self-help range. So, you know, I read maybe five, 10 minutes and they're good. But guys, I, I picked up two weeks ago, I picked up a book that was random. It just called to me. I I cannot tell you the last time I have done this. Literally guys, six months ago. No, it was before Christmas. It was so six months ago. I walked into Barnes and Noble. I saw this cover of this book. I fell in love with the book, but I was like, I'm already buying all these books. I know this is my kryptonite. I'm not going to buy a random book that I don't even know what it's about. Then last month before Easter, I went into Barnes and Noble again and I saw the same, like I walked in and I, and I didn't even think about this book for like six months, walked in and was like, what about that book? Is it still here? And I walked to like where it was and it was still like, they were still selling it in the same place. And I was like, this is fate. Like I'm falling in love. is like falling in love. Right. Like I was like, it's called to me twice. I don't know what it's It's about, which is dangerous. Like, yeah, it's like singing to me. And I was like, so I don't read books unless I've had a glowing recommendation. Like if somebody tells me that book was fine, like even four out of five stars, I'm like life's too short not to read five out of five star books. There are so many books in the world I want to read. I got to have it be like, this is amazing. Not just like it was pretty good. So this is not like, this is not something I have done for, again, I mean, back in the day yeah, I used to read whatever, but now I'm like very like, if I'm going to spend time reading a physical book, it's going to be amazing. So I asked, my husband's aunt works at Barnes & Noble, at that Barnes & Noble, and I'm like, have you heard of this book? And she's like, yeah, I've heard it's great. And I'm like, is it clean? Because I do prefer like, like, I don't, I'm not going to, like, there's certain genres of books that I don't want to read, Right. And so I made sure like was in a genre that I felt like I would like. And I kind of did some glancing through and I'm like, yeah, okay, this looks good. Guys, it, I was, I, I mean, I couldn't put it down. Like my tubs in the morning became way longer. So that's a kind of upside downside. I don't know. And then I took it on a trip with me and oh my gosh, like I, it was one of those books, like it ended and I haven't felt this for so long. Oh my gosh. Oh. Where it ended and I was like, I'm so sad it's over. Like I am so sad it's oh, over. Yeah. It was yeah. so okay, well, good. it's all it's called The Bear and the Nightingale by Katherine Arden. I can link it and we can link your book to um Caitlin. But I mean, I'm talking it's fiction, but it's kind of set in like old Russia. So you're learning a little bit of historical stuff. It has fairy tale themes in it, old Russian like mythology, themes of freedom and restraint, and it's just like. Like I seriously, I finished it and there's more, there's like more books to it and I got to go get them now, but I can't, I like, I'm just so thrilled that this random thing that normally I would, I mean, just judging a book off of his cover. Cause it's saying to me. Like, I mean, like I came home and I told my husband, I'm like, this book was calling to me. Like it was like asking me to read it, you know, like, mm-hmm. how, who does, like does that really happen? Well, it did. It it chose me. It did. (laughs) The wand chose me, and I chose it back. Anyway, it was spectacular. So that's my high five. Good books that are just fun to read. I I love I love all of our self help books so much. I mean, they're like my good friends. Like I feel like all these amazing thought leaders are now my mentors and my friends that I surround my head with. But it was such a treat just to read like something that's beautifully written for the pleasure of it, but also like it was good. Like I felt like it was a good. Like some of yes. the paragraphs are so hauntingly beautiful. In fact, can I just share? I, I know, I know, we have like a really important subject here today, but, but, she's just talking about this woman who came into this village and she was like wild and powerful and she had these magical powers and stuff. And then she just faded into a shell of herself. And the way they describe, like, there's this theme throughout the whole book of like birds being like wild birds being either majestic or like withering in cages and the way they describe her. Like I actually like got the chills and I'm like circling the paragraph cause I like to write in my books and I'm like almost like crying over this woman who's not even a character in the book. I mean, she's literally like mentioned and it's just so beautiful. I just love it when authors can like through the beauty of words, just portray such emotion. Oh my gosh. Okay. I got to stop talking about this cause I'm getting really yep. amped
1: but it's true. <laughs> I, really I, I did want to point out. No, because that's what I'm talking about. Because I want to be clear. I actually have a hard time reading hard copy self-help books. I just have a hard time actually getting through them. I like listening to them. So that's what I'm talking about when you can read a good book. So I'm also with you. The books that I've read have been more of this just like beautiful, enjoyable to read. And it is, it's amazing. It is so nice.
2: Fabulous. Well, we, our topic to move on to, I didn't, (laughs) I think we should just have a book club conversation at this point, but uh, we're talking about kindness. So we read the book, How to Raise Kind Kids by Dr. Thomas Lacona, and it was fabulous. And it went through a lot of the stuff that we come across all the time in the literature that we read. That's so good, but really kind of the core, the center of it that was really powerful for all three of us is the idea that kindness itself is something worth bringing our attention to. Not just, I mean, as parents, you know, we're always thinking about so many things. Are our kids learning how to work? And do they have imaginary play? Can they be in solitude? Are they, you know, following limits, whatever? I mean, we have so many things on our minds. You know, are we helping them be contributive citizens? All the the things that are like the way on us as parents. But I really like the simplicity of bringing our attention to kindness. What is the value of kindness in a world that doesn't measure? It's not something that we can measure. It's not something that you get a gold star for. It's not something that like you can actually be like, oh, look at the success meter of kindness, right? And But it's so, so, so important. And kind of what I, the thing that was really powerful for me to remember is they actually talked about some research about kindness and when it comes to kindness when we're talking about kindness we're saying people who out of a place of love so it's not serving from a place of like I feel like I need to do this so I will or resentment or whatever but from a place of actual I feel in my heart kindness and love towards somebody else and therefore I'm going to act in a way that's going to make the world a better place around me When we act like that, when we act altruistically, the cool thing in this research study that is in this book, that not only does it actually make the world a better place, because it does. We all have acts of kindness that we can think of in our lives that have touched us, right? That have improved our lives. And what is making the world a better place? Except for actually making humans, right? Like touching the individual lives of humans. I think that that's where we make our biggest impact is humans, living creatures, whatever the earth, like whatever it is, are we making it better? Right. And I think sometimes we think of that as like a macro, like you have to make the whole world better. But I think literally that is how we make the whole world better is one individual act at a time. So not only does it actually make the world better, but it makes our world, our inner world better. So the, the point of it is that Yes, of course, it's good for everybody else around us if we can be kind. And this is different. I just want to clarify real quick. This is different than being nice. Mm -hmm. There's a slight difference here, but I, I just want to touch on it. When we teach somebody to be nice all the time, it's more from like a people pleasing standpoint, right? Like, Make sure you come across as nice, you know? It's, are people perceiving me as nice? Am I making people feel comfortable around me? Not because I love them or because I'm being kind, just because do I need to conform myself into a different being to help other people feel comfortable? Do I need to play small so people feel big? Like, that's not what we're talking That's being like, quote, nice, right? Like, just put a smile on your face. Even if you're sad, that's nice. We're not talking about being nice here. We're talking, and I know that I'm I'm adding definitions here I'm not saying being nice is bad. I'm just saying that's not what we're talking about. When I say the word nice, that's what I mean. We're talking about kindness, which is true on the inside from a place of love, caring about other people and being a person. He always, he uses the phrase being a person of character, like on Mm -hmm. me, my identity, I want to be kind and altruistic. And that actually adds, increases our ability to be happy. So they have this correlation between people who act kind from a place of, you know, like they're doing things that are kind actually on the have higher happiness indexes. So it's just so cool to me because it's like a, as we raise the world around us, we're also raising our internal world. Our character itself becomes this nice place to be, right? Like I want to be comfortable in my own skin. I want to be comfortable with who I am and being kind helps me with that. Right? So it's just this beautiful thing that like, as we, as we look outside of ourselves in a, in a, from a place of love, it also is going to increase our ability to inhabit ourselves and be happy inside of ourselves. So that's kind of the overarching thing today is how can we embody kindness in ourselves, have that become part of our identity, and how can we teach our children to actually have that become part of their identity? identity that's who they are that's who they believe they are that's how they that's who they are at their core right so we have lots of kind of fun tips on how to get to that place but that's yeah kind of the goal here is kindness and I just love it as a it's really worth putting our attention on kindness
0: yeah I loved the quote in this book that said character is when no one is watching which we've heard I think it's a John Wooden quote I'll look it up But he expounds on in the book and says characters when no one is looking and when everyone is looking. And I think that's a really cool, like you could even share that quote with your kids just to emphasize what you're saying, where it's kindness is compassion. It's the strong moral compass where sometimes it doesn't look like being nice because sometimes being nice is you know, just moving to the background when the bully is bullying the other kid, but it's, it is bigger. It like moves into that compassion piece and it takes us being brave, which also helps our kids be brave. So it's all of those, like, I like that distinction between nice and kind and
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: Kindness is definitely something that we as parents can foster in our kids. Um, kids, ha- uh, In the book, Dr. Lacona talks about how kids have the ability to be cruel or kind. like They can go both ways. And so it's our job as the parents to help them be kind and feed that. So he gives – I think this is a story that I really love, and some, some of you listening may be really familiar with it or not, but he gives the story of a grandfather who's talking to his grandson – And telling him a story about two wolves that live inside him and live inside all of us. And one is the dark wolf that kind of embodies, you know, hatred, badness, unkindness, cruelty, all those things. And the light wolf is everything that embodies goodness. So kindness, compassion, patience, light. And um, he talks about how the wolves are fighting constantly and they're in this vicious battle. And the grandson asks the grandfather, well, who, which wolf wins? And he says, it's the one that he feeds. And I love that because we all have the ability to be kind or cruel. And so as parents, it's our job to help our children feed the good wolf. And I think a lot of things that we're going to talk about is ways that we can do that, ways that we can kind of feed that goodness in our children to help them be kind. Um, Something that I think is interesting because we obviously, all of us, really love the respectful parenting approach. Janet Lansbury is kind of like at the leader of that. She has a lot of great books about it. And she wrote an article that I really loved because I think sometimes with the respectful parenting approach, it it can be easy to almost bleed over without knowing it. I don't think any of us do it intentionally. Almost bleed over into some permissiveness because it's like we want to be respectful of our kids' emotions and you know, they're just figuring out, they are experimenting and figuring out how social dynamics work. And, you know, we've all seen kids, little kids act in ways that are, you know, not nice. And so I think some, but, but they're just figuring it out and it's our jobs to kind of help them. But what I love, she, she gives this thing and I think it's good to recognize for us who want to be respectful parents, um, where it's also our job to help them be respectful and be kind. So she says, it is never respectful to give children free reign to disturb, interfere, or otherwise behave rudely or aggressively. Loving our kids means not only ensuring their physical safety, but also protecting them from being perceived as brats or bullies. Though the unavoidable will happen, there's much we can do to help them succeed. And we'll she goes on about some ways that you can do it. And we can link that in our show notes and in the email. But what I love about this is that it is our job as parents to when we do see our kids, I think even at a really young, young age as toddlers acting rudely or aggressively, I think it's one thing we make sure that they don't hit. We, You know, there's certain things that it's like a really hard line. But also when we see things that are rude, like it is our job as parents. And I think it starts within the family when, when they behave rudely to us as parents or to their siblings, we can... Um, firmly hold that boundary and make sure that they know that it's like we can still be kind doing it and respectful but it is respectful to hold that boundary and be kind in that way to our kids and it's it's doing them a service by doing so
0: yeah and in my opinion I think that the wave of gentle and respectful parenting that I think is like so amazing has so many huge like Pillars that we can rest our parenting ideals on does have a downfall if we perceive it as um, permissive mm-hmm. in any way that we can be in in the book that we read how to raise Ken kids he says that we have an epidemic of pushover parenting where kids are running the roost and. The key to it is it's stemming from feelings of insecurity in parenting. and i I do I think we do have this like um, subconscious feeling that if we are immediate and firm and corrective, that we are then all of a sudden um, on the other end of the spectrum where we're not being gentle and kind and loving but like kaylin is saying teaching that respect and kindness and correcting actions that aren't those things actually is respectful of our kids because we are teaching them to be th- the type of human that we know they they are in their goodness and that they would want to be so i think just here just knowing that Just knowing that might help you feel secure in in correcting your kids in those moments in still a kind way. It's not like you're like spanking them and yelling at them that you do not have to be aggressive to be firm and immediate in your corrections of their behavior that is outside of your family values. You can still be unruffled. Calm, clear. It's it's really just the holding of the boundaries. Um, he also says in the book that respect for parents predicts future morality in our kids. So mm. how are we creating that respect connection where kids? Like I think that's the crux of it. Like can we be respectful and gentle while still creating? That respect in our relationships, because the idea is we are being respectful towards them, and sometimes there's a disconnect where because we're being maybe maybe too gentle, maybe not firm in our correction, maybe we're not holding our boundaries. It's not the respect is not returning. So that's kind of my thoughts on the (laughs) the gentle parenting like crux. Like it's confusing in some ways. Yeah, well,
1: because it's interesting because I think about in my stage of parenting that I'm in, my oldest is not not even three yet. And so it's interesting because like, of course, we know that little toddlers have big emotions and they act in ways that, you know, aren't necessarily quote unquote polite because they're just, they have these big emotions that are letting out. And so I think sometimes it's almost, it's interesting and it can be easy to not distinguish like If he's expressing really big emotions, that he's sad, angry, whatever they may be, it's easy to – because we want to be able to accept them and let them process those. But also, I think even at this young age, I think that we can still hold a line of being rude or aggressive towards other people and us. Like, we can still hold the boundary of saying, like, oh, like, you can't ask me that way. Like, you know, like, that's not – that's rude. Like, I won't let you talk to me that way. And that just shows them that it's like, I'm holding this respect for me. And, and you can still be sad, but like, that's not okay to talk to somebody that way. Even if it's, I mean, he's just so small, but I think that that is important to teach our kids because then as they do get older, where is the line of then it's like, then now you're saying, okay, now you really can't talk, you know, now you can't talk to me that way. It's like, this is just part of us being humans together. It's like, we can still have big emotions, but we always treat each other with, respect and so I think you're right it totally starts with that's where they learn it is in the family and then when they go to school they'll they'll be able to take that with them
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know a little tip with that specific thing that I can't remember where I got it from I don't want to quote if it's Janet or not but um is just saying you staying calm you know and saying you know I can see her I can see her really upset about that or you really want that um try again you know what I mean? And sometimes you need to give them a couple minutes and they can try again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but just like, so you're not necessarily, like, it's like, you're, you're not turning it into a conflict in between you two. It's just a, oh yeah, try, try that again. Cause they know, you know what I mean? Like even two year olds know that like yelling, I want the goldfish isn't going to like, well, they can learn that it gets them the goldfish, but if you just repeatedly in a kind way, be like, oh yeah, try again. They'll learn mm-hmm. like, oh, I just say. Can I please have some goldfish? (laughs) Like get the goldfish, right? However it is. But like what I'm saying is just a tip on that specific thing that I have liked that has worked for me is the calmly saying, try again. I can see you really want that. Try again. And sometimes they freak out and then five minutes later they try again, you know? So, or sometimes they just say, oh, and they just try it right then. But I kind of like the idea of like, we're all just practicing. So try again. That's not going to get you what you want, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I love the, the, either reminder, like, I usually, I tell my kids, you can get it yourself, or you can ask kindly for someone else to help you. Like, those are your options. But I think that is all it feels like, will they ever actually, like, I think I've said, try it again, or whatever, 400 times. Will, will they ever actually do it? And There is hope. All of a sudden there's a day where all your reminders and your corrections like come to fruition. It's like, oh my gosh. So it can feel so it can feel so discouraging. And I think it's a reason why a lot of people are like throw their hands up, like, I'm just gonna yell at them, spank them, send them to their room. Like I think that's why people get to that, like parents get to that often because it's not an Overnight, like fear always works faster. Immediately. But uh, immediately, yeah. But repeated firm correction and holding your ground, even though it gets exhausting, holding those boundaries because it's easy to swing towards just permissive, throw your hands up, like whatever, I'll give them whatever they want, or the other end. But like there is a middle ground, the authority, authoritative parenting, and we can link our episode on authoritative parenting style it works. It is like the longer road, but it it will work. Just holding, holding your ground on those things I think is really important.
2: Yeah. That is a good episode to circle back to because I think sometimes we interpret, oftentimes we interpret gentleness as permissiveness, which it's not. And we, Mm -hmm. we interpret firmness as, um, I like to call it militant, in that mm-hmm. in that episode we talk about it, militant parenting, where it's yeah, just like the with fear, which does get you immediate results, but does not get you the long term results you need that you want, and it damages your relationship. So, authoritative is just a beautiful way. And as I say that, we're all trying to just figure this out, right? Right, <laughs> practicing, right, practicing right. it, right? Because we're all practicing. <laughs> in fact, in this book, one of my favorite things that he says is he's a grant. So this guy is a is he a psychologist? Yeah, he's a developmental yeah. psychologist. And so he has spent his career working with the actual like children growing their brains. He has children of his own. He has grandkids now. And he said, it's pretty humbling to have spent decades and decades of research and career and own life experience. And he's like, to know that at the end, my main piece of advice is everybody just try to be a little more kind. (laughs) You know what I mean? And he, and he gives the example of this, like, person who teaches a parenting class it's like 10 ways to be a good parent and then he has one kid and it turns his class turns into five ways to maybe be a better parent and then like <laughs> he has three kids and then his class becomes something like a I can't even remember what the phrase was but it was I was like laughing out loud whereas like mm-hmm. a good luck you know what I mean like we're all literally just like trying we're all just trying and these are just guidelines to help us but, I think we all know that ruling by fear is not the answer, right, and we all know that just full full on reigning like letting the kids just be totally permissive is not serving them because we see the results of that in our society right now, we are seeing the results of ultra permissive parenting, and it's not working. so mm-hmm. we can see that those are our like the rails of we don't we know we don't want to go off the rails either direction, so these are just nice little tips to help with calmness, staying unruffled, holding boundaries showing kindness ourselves as we hold firm boundaries. And I think that's the trick, right? That's not the trick, but I think that's really the crux of all of it. In this book, when he talks about ways we can teach kindness, a huge part of it is modeling it ourselves. So in this, even as we're talking about here, kind of limits and respect, can we model that ourselves? Can we set a limit and still do it with kindness? Because firm can still be kind, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great place, like all things in parenting, it's a great place to practice it ourselves. I'm not saying we perfect at it, it's just a great place to practice.
0: Yeah. And there were a few, um, I guess you could call them virtues that, um, Dr. Lacone, I guess is probably his technical term that he mentioned in the book that oh, we nice pulled experience. out and thought, Tom, just Tom, us and Tom, good old pals. <laughs> um, that we thought were stood out as important. And this book is, if you're just looking for a general skim of a bunch of tips to recommit to in your family, I would say read this book. We pulled out our favorites. Um, Temperance and Fortitude. This is something, I think it was like glowing like a neon sign to me because I think it's something that As a whole, our society is lacking. Um, And the main point that I wanted to emphasize with this is um, the immediate gratification piece. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the marshmallow test story where they take toddlers two to three years old and they bring in a big marshmallow into the testing room and they say, "Okay, you can have this marshmallow or if you can wait to eat it for, it's three to five minutes-ish, I think, around that time frame. Yeah. Um, when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow. Does that sound like the right time, Caitlin?
1: Yeah,
0: I think it's so. It's like yeah. around that time. Um, and, you know, they do the stats, but it's something where more of the kids eat the marshmallow and don't get the second one. And that's gradually getting to be more true where our kids are... They're so used to the immediate gratification. We all are. I'm hungry. There's instantly food in my fridge or at any second I can push a button, have any food I want. I'm bored. Turn on, just open my phone, watch a show. Um, I think screens are a huge contributed, contributor to that. So how can we build in some delayed gratification skills for our kids, whether that's screen time, whether that's I want this and we say okay later at snack time we'll have that that little bag of M&Ms let's send it on the counter and wait for it those sort of things i think build fortitude into our kids character, character and temperance and patience and we have to have all those things to be kind because yeah. there's so many instances in a family where it's like the the baby needs me and, and I need to take care of the baby right now. I can't immediately gratify you. So I need you to have a little fortitude. So I think that um, skill is worth thinking about being aware of and noticing where we can build it into our family culture.
1: Yeah. And a quick plug there with summer coming up, because we, we were ta- we have had episodes about screen time before, but Um, One of the stats that he gave was that 75% of families don't have screen time rules. And that is something that can be a huge asset to everybody is having some sort of rule, not just for your kids, but even for yourself. So think about that as you are considering going forward and like maybe doing things in your family that you feel like will help. That is actually one thing of just having those boundaries and rules for your family and for yourself around screen time's that that can really, really help with some of these things. And he he goes into a lot of, oh my gosh, so many things and stats about why our our use of screen time is so, needs to really, everyone needs to take a look at it. And I think it's one of those things that it's good to come back to because even when you feel strongly about it, it's so easy to slip back into just, you know, it's so easy and it's so distracting and it's meant to be, it's designed to be that way. So just a quick plug to, like, take a look and maybe reevaluate and recommit to some things because I think we all have felt that. Another thing that you mentioned, Felicia, that I love is the contribution to the family. I think, <clears throat> again, my my oldest is a toddler, but I think that it is never too young to have our kids have a meaningful contribution to the family. It's one thing to be like, yeah, go do this that's not actually that useful to us. But in different cultures, it's cool because he talks about in the book how there are other cultures where it's like the kids actually do have meaningful tasks that are part of the family, like surviving, you know. And so we don't really have that in our, like, first world families today where it's like we need the child to go out and, you know, forage for wood to then start the fire. But we do have things that we can give them that are meaningful that – that helps them see that even from this young age, you are a meaningful contributor to our family and they can feel that. And so I think we do our kids a disservice when we think that they are maybe too young to start. I think that they can even start with little things and we can link this, but I actually had a neighbor who she, she actually follows a plan. There's a book called, um, I believe it's training children to be independent. And there's actually kind of a plan on like different age appropriate tasks that you can help your kids learn so that then by the time they're 18 and out of your house, they actually have learned some really great skills that are needed for them to be independent. But it starts when they're three, you know, of just simple things like cleaning up their toys and being able to brush their teeth, even simple things that we don't maybe think about. But if we can help them, even at a young age, that's doing them a service and helping them to be kind and realize that they they're not just a bystander. They're an engaged working piece of our family. And then when they go to school, like that carries through there too.
0: <clears throat> the story in the book that shares a comparison between a five-year-old girl in a village, um, I, I think it was an African village, and her contribution to her family versus um a, a comparison with an eight-year-old boy in a, uh, an American family, I was physically nauseous listening to the comparison. And I was like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Like, you know, it, the comparison is basically that the girl is like running their camp as they're hunting and starting the fire. And like the tasks are different, right? The tasks are going to be different with her and the for the American family, but it's the, the attitude, it's the independence, it's all of it. They, <clears throat> in the book, it tells her story. And then in the book, it, it cross compares it to an American family that the author observes. And it's an eight-year-old boy. And his dad asks him to take a bath multiple times. I think it was like seven to eight times. And he's still refusing. Finally, the dad like drags him into the bathroom. He's screaming. He's crying. He like does the cat, still won't get in the bath like the cat against water move and then like runs off and hides and plays video games. And it was just, I mean, I'm, I have to emphasize I was seriously nauseous listening to bulls because I was like, this is a problem. Like we, there's lots of pieces um, to this, but I think just the awareness of the possibility having that, um, confidence in our kids that they can be they can take care of themselves they can contribute to their family and it is you can have those expectations and hold those boundaries for your kids because they can do those things I think sometimes it's like well they're never going to do that by themselves so I'm just going to do it like that's sort of the mindset we get into but just knowing that they can I think is like the first very first step just having that mm-hmm. confidence in them. So, yeah. <laughs> I do want to emphasize too one thing when you're talking about screens and why it'd be good to refocus on this in the summer, um, is there in all those stats the one another one that stood out to me is that there's been a huge upswing in a disorder that they have um, the You know, American Academy of Psychiatric, like the psychology for kids has now just identified in the last, I think like five to 10 years. And it's called disruptive mood dysregulation behavior. And for a long time, it was being misidentified as ADD or ADHD. But this doctor, um, I'll find her name, but she independently identified this as a totally separate behavior in our kids. And it's, they, they identify it as chronic irritability, poor focus, oppositional defiance, rages, meltdowns. And these parents were thinking, oh, they must have ADD, ADHD, putting them on medication for those things. And really when they got to the root of it, it was directly correlated with screen use, a whole Mm -hmm. separate psychiatric behavior. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, and it's preventable. It's yeah. not it's not you don't need medicine. It's literally you know, and and this doctor has a whole program to detox your kids from screens. So we'll find that yeah. too in LinkedIn. but I was it's like It's like a 4 week oh. it's a 4 week fast from yeah. screens. So like
1: right. none. Right. But nine, yeah, and when when I heard that too, I thought if this is the damage that it's doing to our kids, of course it's affecting us as adults. Like why wouldn't it be? Oh. So yeah, it is. It is sobering, to say the least, for sure.
0: Whew. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, to I think the final piece is, can we focus on our identity as kind people and kind families? And I think that comes back to shout out to my mother-in-law. She always says, like, how does she even say it? That's not who we are. Or this is what mm-hmm. we do, but we it's don't like do a that. <laughs> on, we don't do that. Like, how can we focus on who we are, our our identity as a family? Um, and so we have some tips on that as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think so, this is
2: one
0: of. I think this of the most
2: important things, Caitlin. I think this is one of the most important concepts here, in that how can we by modeling ourselves how can we actually get the identity and i love yeah what well, my mom always says i mean she says it in the positive also right like you know we we do that undersinger She so she her main name is undersinger so when it's something that she was ident like was positive for her as a kid she'll say like undersingers do that or if it was something for our family she'd say "Ellen's do that but like when it comes to yeah things like bullying and being rude i mean she'd say like we don't we don't do that so it's funny i can hear her voice in my head sometimes being like we don't do that <laughs> we don't and i passed it on to my kids which i love but for me something a few phrases that have really served me and my family is one saying things like I can see that you are a kind person and we have a whole episode on praise that we just did we'll link here as well. but when it comes to actual character traits, that's a time with praise where you can full-blown label their identity right you're not you're not boxing them in. We're not saying like kindness luckily you can have any kind of personality type and still be kind right? You can be driven, you can be wild, you can be fiery, you can be sh- uh, let's not say shy. you can be more quiet, you can be introverted. You can be any of the things and still be kind. So when I'm saying embrace that label, we're not limiting our children by labeling them as kind, right? Like this is like a beautiful character thing that we can we can we can say like we are kind people. That's what we choose to be as kind because there are times, say like with my mom, there are literally times I remember as a kid, something would be happening and I could hear like Alan's would do like, for me, not only it's who I want to be, this is who my family is. Like we're the kind of person who stops something when it happens. And you know how my mom did this by telling us individual stories. So if anybody's read Malcolm Godwell's book, the Influen- influencer influencers, um, he talks about how the, literally the power of influence in this world is story. So I remember, for example, my mom telling me stories of this several times she defended somebody. Um, the one that stands out to me the most is when she defended her older sister who was getting picked on. So my mom's like a little, and she's really petite. So like I can, I can picture her story, right? Her, her older sister was getting made fun of. And she went, she stood in between the bully and her sister i stood up for a sister and i remember there were times for me in elementary school that something would be happening and i think to myself like if my mom could stand up to boys who were bigger than her i can definitely say hey guys let's be nice to this kid you know what i mean like that's easy compared to my mom risking being hit by somebody who's bigger than her like i can definitely tell my friends hey guys like let's back off let's be nice here you know let's be kind mm-hmm. and so For me, telling stories. So sharing our own stories with our kids. Same thing with even, even being some, so this is not, this is kind of off the kindness train, but when it comes to, if we want our kids to be transparent, again, my mom told us a story of when she was being, I mean, she was being physically hurt when she was a little girl by these kids at school and they threatened, they threatened her to like kill her family and stuff. If she told, and when she told me as a kid, when she finally told her parents and they were able to like solve the situation when. I like I luckily never faced that, but you can guarantee I tell my kids that story because when you hear it's one thing to be like, if somebody threatens you to keep a secret, just come tell me. That's one thing. Right. But when you hear a story of this happened to my mom and she thought she believed them, she thought that the seven year old could go kill her parents. But guess what? You still go tell your parents, and this is how it ended, right? So stories Mm -hmm. are way more powerful than us just saying, be kind, be kind, be kind. If we can tell stories of examples, we can tell stories of others. There are amazing examples in history, in current events of people being kind. And the more individual it can be, the more powerful it is. So, like, look at what this kid did to save this group of people's, you know, this group with disabilities and they, they were able to get them to do this activity they couldn't do before. Look how cool that is. Or this is an example from my own childhood or something I just did yesterday. You know, like I love it when I can come home and say, kids, I went to this thing where there was homeless people and this is something, this is a story that changed me. And so not only am I modeling it, but I'm telling them the individual story because there is power. If we can bring individual story into our kids, into our conversations with our kids, that is where so much power is. And that also goes along with media, right? Like what stories are we exposing our kids to? Because again, it's just the power of story. Are we, are we showing them models in, we just talked about screen time. So if, so for me, like we have very limited amount of screen time, but this is, this book made me realize, I mean, yeah, of course my kids, I'm not having them watch like unwholesome things. But I want us to look at as a family, like, I don't want it to be, if we're going to watch a movie as a family, I don't want it to be just like fluff. If there's all these amazing stories in the world, can we choose ones with strong characters that are kind and are modeling what we want to be? You know what I mean? Like we have this great opportunity through story to help our kids actually internalize that. Like, I want to be that person who can be kind, even when it's hard. You know what I mean? And that kind of identity, if we can have our kids, if we can embrace it ourselves, and if we can have our kids really pull that in, I think it's really just this, it makes me excited because think how, think about a world, a community where the kids in it think it's cool to be kind, right? And I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but for me as a kid, there were times where something was going wrong. I felt like I should say something And I was so grateful when one of my friends did, right? Like when one of my friends were like, hey, guys, let's not talk. Let's not talk like that. Let's not. I had one friend specifically. She was like my best friend growing up. And if we were ever doing something that even was unkind to somebody who wasn't there, she would say, guys, we can talk about better stuff. You know what I mean? Like that person needs help. So us just roasting them while they're not here isn't going to help. And she would say it in a really loving way. But. I appreciated it so much. So kids have this cool power. If we, if we can help our kids know that they have the power to lift the circles around them just by being kind. Most kids are just relieved when somebody shows kindness, right? Not only when it's to them, but when it's like, yeah, you know what? This doesn't feel good. Being rude does not feel good. So for me, it's not only helping them identify as kind, but realizing that kindness is a leadership quality that through kindness, it's an act of courage, honestly, being kind. And so think of a community where like kids, if we all work together as parents, like it's just exciting to me that like mm-hmm. I think kindness can be like a cool thing and it starts with us. So
0: And it's through those clear family rules, values, this is who we are. Um, and you can use tools like a family meeting, establishing your family culture, um those things which we will link i will link a book um hold on to your kids that can help you with that also the entitlement trap we have some things that can help you but um what we wanted to leave with you in this episode is that a focus on a family culture of kindness um and holding strong with your expectation of that from your kids will it is um respectful and loving towards them because you know that they are and want to be that kind of a person. So, I hope this was helpful. I feel like we have like links, links coming. This is going to be your resource episode. This is going to recommit you um for the summer to help your family have just that amazing family culture and with our kids going to school all day, it I think it's so tricky to establish that. So use the summer to help your kids recommit to, um, your family culture, your little, um, community that you can, you can set those boundaries and expectations. All right, guys, let's find the magic.
2: Brown (laughs) cows.